Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2 on your pew Bible, that's page 351. Just to give you a little review of where we are in the story of Job so far, Job's life was idyllic. Uh, he was uh, very faithful to the Lord in spiritual priority. He um, he had his spiritual life as a priority. He was very righteous. He had God's glowing endorsement. There was no guilt found in him. He was doing everything. He was doing it right. Uh, he was living the good life. He had uh, 10 children, 7 sons, and 3 daughters. And uh, symbolically speaking with those numbers, that is sort of the perfect family, I think, in the ancient world. And he was extremely wealthy. But now he's low. He has been tested. Uh, and the book of Job is about testing. It's about suffering, but it's also about testing. Um, although that's not really what our that's not really what our sermon is about today. Um, but Job is being tested to see if he will stay faithful to God throughout this trial, not knowing that he's being tested, thinking that he's being punished, not really understanding what's going on around him. Uh, and people later in the in the the book, uh, we're going to talk about his three friends today, uh, and they will be very suspicious of what's going on in his life and saying it must mean that he's guilty. And last week in our sermon, what we saw was that Job's wife even recommended that he just die, just give up and die, curse God and die. That's how low he's gotten. Uh, most of the time when, when people go through something very difficult, at least everybody else around them will say, stick with it, just stick it out. You you can be tough, you can you can stay at this. But no, she's saying, just forget it, just curse God and die. That's how bad it is in Job's life. He has lost his wealth, he has lost his children, he has lost his health. Everything is going wrong for him. Um, but he's staying faithful. He's passing the test. And today we're, what we're really going to talk about is comforting people who are going through difficult times. Um, so we're not really going to be talking about Job so much. We're going to talk about his three friends. And his three friends, later on, Job is going to call them miserable comforters. But in this passage that we're going to read today, we're going to see some good things, some good things that they did. We're going to we're going to speak well of them before we speak ill of them. And for the purposes of this sermon, when I think uh, when I what I want you to think about is people suffering, not you suffering, and maybe not even a close family member suffering. Think about somebody outside of yourself, outside of your immediate circle, uh, somebody that you want to help, but somebody who you know if if they lived or died, um, it may not. It may not affect your life so much, but somebody that you're close to, somebody that you care about, but not somebody in that closest, smallest inner circle uh, for you, people that are somewhat disconnected from you. Um, and we're going to see what do you do, how do you respond um, when they go through suffering, when it's not you suffering, but when it's on another person, okay? So let's pray, and then let's get into our passage. Heavenly Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, you have uh, sent us to be good comforters. Laugh with those who laugh and mourn with those who mourn. Lord, show us a little bit in the word today about how to do that, what to do uh, when somebody else is going through suffering. When it's not us, but it's somebody else. What can we say? What can we not say? What can we do? What can we not do? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Job chapter 2, starting in verse 11. 
When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. So these friends, um, who are they? Where did they come from? Uh, like Job, they're not Jewish people. They're um, they're maybe Edomites. I have I have the theory that Job was an Edomite. Uh, some of these other people were too. Eliphaz is from Teman, and Teman is a city in Edom. Uh, so maybe it's Eliphaz the Temanite who's very near to Job. Uh, but then you have Bildad the Shuhite, and he's from some place over near the uh, Euphrates River. So he's from very far away. And then Zophar the Naamathite, nobody knows where he's from. Uh, they don't even know what Naamathite means. It might be a descendant of Namath, or it might be from the town of Namath, or something like that. Nobody really knows about him. Uh, but Teman and Shuha. Uh, they seem to they they were real places, real cities that we that we know that they were. So Namath, we'll, we'll go ahead and assume that that's a place that just archaeologists haven't found yet. Um, and so they were probably Job's peer group. So they're probably about his same age. They're probably uh, near near uh, to him in wealth and status and importance. Uh, that's why. They come to him. That's why it, they take it upon themselves to do this. Nobody else is in Job's peer group around, uh, but these three guys are. And I guess that they've known each other for a long time, you know, old college buddies or something like that. Uh, but the interesting thing to me is that um, when they heard about what happened to Job, they connected with each other. Uh, so they they hear what's going on and they send out messengers and who knows who heard first. Maybe Eliphaz is closest to where Job lives. So he... Um, he gets the message, and then he sends servants out to go find Zophar and Bildad and tell them, hey, you guys, I don't know if you've heard, but Job has gone through a terrible tragedy, and I'm going to go comfort him. Please come with me, and let's uh, let's get together. Um, and what I kind of see here is that they are conspiring to bless. They're conspiring to bless him. They, they meet up together, and they all say, hello, haven't seen you in a long time. How are things going? All right, let's get on the road, and let's go see Job. Uh, and I've seen people in this church do that. Uh, just a few weeks ago, somebody, uh, some people here started going through a very difficult time, losing f- multiple family members within a week uh, to very, very unrelated uh, accidents or uh, sicknesses. Um, and <clears throat> and the people of this church sort of rallied around them, rallied around them, and conspired to bless. They said, "Okay, who's going to do what? Who's going to visit when? Who's going to bring what?" What do we do? Um, we have this, uh, there's a website called Meal Train that we uh, we have used several times in the past where when somebody's going through something and there's a loss in the family or maybe there's a birth in the family, it's not always bad things, uh, but it's difficult times. What do we do? How do we bless? How do we rally? How do we conspire to bless? Uh, and, and these guys put their lives on hold. You know, if they're in Job's peer group, then they are people who are of great commerce as well. They're agrarian, they're involved in trade, they've got servants, and they've so they've got a big household and and uh and farm to manage, and yet they put everything on 
on hold. And for weeks, days, weeks, days, months, I have no idea, but they put it all on hold. They put it into the hands of another person. They, you know, they called their chief servant and said, I've got a personal matter to attend to. I want you in charge. This, do this, this, and this. And when I come back, I'll expect that you'll have done a good job, but I've got something more important to do right now. And I've seen people here put their lives on hold. Um, last year we had a woman who had twin babies. One of the twins, uh, was in, uh, in great need of medical care and she was in the hospital for a month. Uh, and so everybody sort of took turns driving her down to Portland to go to the hospital, to spend the day with her baby, but then come back at night. Um, and people had to ignore other business. They had to ignore other responsibilities. They had to ignore their own family members to come care for, for this one. And they did so willingly. They did so um, with a smile on their face, with joy in their heart. They didn't begrudge it at all. They all they did it all very willingly. And that's a great testament. Uh, do you remember what Jesus said? Greater love has no one than this, that he would give up his life for a friend. And, um, of course, he's talking about people you know, really dying for other people. And ultimately, he's talking about himself and the crucifixion. But I've seen a lot of times where people were living sacrifices for somebody else. They put their life on hold. They ignored their own agenda, their own uh, prosperity, their own res- other responsibilities, the things that would have enriched their life. And they decided to let themselves be drained for another person. And that shows an incredible amount of love. Uh, because people who love want to comfort they want to help. They want to rally around. They want to cry beside somebody. Um, and it's not always easy to do. When you see what happened here, when Job's friends came near him in the ash heap right outside the city, they didn't even recognize him. They said, who is that miserable wretch? Who is that poor guy? And then they say, oh my goodness, that's him. When you see suffering uh, up close, when you see it face to face, it's really hard to to, to bear sometimes when you see somebody who's wasting away from uh, cancer or some other disease. It's really hard to look at them and say, wow, you used to be so healthy looking, even plump, and now you're just skin and bones. And I can't believe what death and disease has done to this one that I love. And so they were shocked. It was hard to see them. And when you go to visit somebody who's who's dying you should be prepared and prepare yourself emotionally for what they look like. Nobody looks good when they're in the hospital. They're not on their, you know, they're not primped and, and looking good. They're always pretty rough looking. Um, and if they're dying, it's all the more worse. You may not even, you know, if somebody's lost 20, 30, 40 pounds, 50 pounds, uh, they don't even look like themselves sometimes anymore. And uh, so you just kind of have to prepare yourself. And then you have to enter into that grief with them. And I like seeing that his friends, they tore their robes just like he tore his clothes. And they threw ashes on their head just like he threw their ashes, or like just like Job threw ashes on his head. They followed the, the mourning customs. They did what was appropriate. Um, they, uh, you know, their appearance and their actions, everything were appropriate to the situation. And so it's all, it's very important for us to be observant about uh, how we should behave in any situation where uh, somebody is grieving, somebody is mourning, somebody is dying, somebody is very sad. And they gave Job time, time to grieve. They gave him seven days before they even said anything to him. Uh, maybe they said hello. Maybe they said, do you remember me? Do you recognize me? Do you uh, do you know who we are? Um, or maybe they did say nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing at all. But they certainly didn't argue with him. They're going to argue with him for 33 chapters later on. 
But at this point, they're just staying silent. They're just staying silent. They're just letting him grieve. And they're just being beside him. They're just being a listening ear. And for you, I think it's important for us to always remember that when somebody is going through something difficult, they don't need words as much as they need your presence. Sit beside them. Uh, you don't even have to say anything. Just make sure that they know you are there and that you're beside them. And stay as long as you can. Um, don't just sort of make an appearance, but just sort of stay for a little bit, even if they're quiet, even if there's nothing to do. Just sit there and be with them for uh, as long as they need you. And let them speak first. Let them uh, let them start talking. Let them say what they want to say. Uh, maybe you can help, you can prompt them in some way, but not with a deep question and certainly not with your own opinion. Uh, just ask them, you know, and how are you doing is maybe not even the best question. How are you feeling? I, I have no idea necessarily what the best question is. Um, but I, I'll sometimes say, what emotions, what all emotions are you feeling? Are you feeling every emotion, something like that? I don't know. I'm not even sure what the best thing to ask is. Um, and if you don't know what to say, then just don't say anything at all. Um, and for you, I don't know, if you're the one going through something difficult, I would say make sure that you're pouring your heart out to God. A lot of times people will, will um, sort of have the attitude, I think, that my prayers to God need to be very nice and very proper and very um, maybe even polite or, uh, or just sort of reverent. And surely we want to have some reverence toward God. But you also want to pour out all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, all of the darkness even in you. Pour it out to God. If you read the Psalms, you'll find that um, David didn't shy away at all. Uh, he didn't make believe that everything was okay in his prayers. He poured everything out to God. Uh, but And the fact is, that to me, if you've got very dark thoughts that you want to get out, I would get those out in prayer more than to your friend. Uh, there are things that are very hard for me to hear or very, very, maybe very difficult for another person to hear, but you can certainly pray it to God if you need to say it out loud. Give it to God first. Uh, I would even say that God deserves to hear uh, more than anybody else. He de deserves to hear first how you're feeling, what you're thinking, how low and how dark it gets uh, in your mind and in your heart. He knows your thoughts and, and feelings anyway. Uh, so I would say give him the privilege Give him the right to hear everything you're going through first. Make sure that you pour it out to him before you pour it out to a friend. Uh, and as you're doing that, you might be able to process it a, a little bit better. Um, but your friends also are ready to hear. And for you, if you're a person that um, you're on the receiving end and somebody's pouring out their heart and the darkness inside them, the, the difficult feelings that they're having, uh, I would say to you, just be prepared to hear the worst. Be be prepared to be shocked, uh, and don't let yourself be too overly shocked. Remember, when somebody's going through something difficult, they're hitting bottom, uh, and they may say things that later on they say, oh, well, maybe I didn't really mean that, or I don't really feel that way now. But they felt that way then, and it was legitimate feeling. So just let them feel. Let them say those things. Now, if somebody's talking about suicide, um, make, sure that you, make sure that you pay attention to that. Um, and I'll say this, when I was in China, the organization that we were with had a psychologist on staff, and that person sort of trained us a little bit about how to 
see uh, how to deal with somebody who's going through a very difficult time. And uh, there's a lot of suicide in China. There's a very high suicide rate in China. Rates are climbing in the United States as well, I think, as as hopelessness rises. Uh, but on in China, it is a very serious problem. It's a sort of epidemic. Uh, they have um, they have some sort of anomalies of, you know, there's sort of norms of suicide, and they, they kind of break some of the norms in China. They have more suicide than per capita than usual, more women that commit suicide than men, and that's that's just the only country in the world, is what I was told, that, that has that truth. Um, and college students, uh, among college students, it's, there's a very high suicide rate in China. In the campuses that I worked on, there were suicides. Um, in the largest campus I worked at, um, it was a, and it was a very large campus, one of the largest campuses in China. They had four suicides in one semester. Uh, and then at the small school where I taught, which was a very small school in a very small town, at least by Chinese standards, um, there was one suicide in the year that I was there. Uh, and it, But it affected the, the campus in, in an amazing way, a great way, a huge way, because uh, it was done right in the middle of campus. Uh, and somebody, everybody sort of had to walk by that spot um, daily. I think nearly every student daily had to walk by that spot. And so it really, really shocked the campus and, and uh, hurt the students on the, the campus when it happened. Uh, anyway, this psychologist in our organization said that um, you should not be afraid to talk about it. Talking about it does not increase the likelihood of it. Uh, and if somebody is thinking about suicide, they will often be very honest with you about it. If you say, have you been thinking about suicide? They will honestly tell you yes or no. And if you ask them, how would you do it? They will honestly tell you how they would do it. And he even said this, if somebody says that they're thinking about it, if you say to them, promise me you won't do it today, uh, the, the statistics show, the research shows that they will, if they will promise not to do it today, they won't, overwhelmingly. And also, if you tell them, hey, before you decide to do anything like that, would you call me first? Promise me that you'll call me first. And they will. So it's uh, it's a thing where it's uncomfortable, it's scary, but um, honest conversation about it really can help. And I know that a lot of you in this church have known somebody that committed suicide. It has touched every family or many of our families. Uh, so it's something that we're going to have to stop being afraid to talk about, to think about, to um, engage people with. Um, but we need to have, we need to sort of be trained. We need to be um, sympathetic, and we need to know when when do we need to call the police? When do we, when do we need to call nine one one over this person? Or when do we just need to say, okay, just just promise me you won't do it today. Just talk to me more about it. Just let's let's make sure that uh, you you know you don't have to do this. Um, and as you're comforting people, I would say this is just sort of my little warning for you. Keep appropriate boundaries. You, if you start investing in somebody's life and you start saying, pour everything on me, pour everything on me, uh, you can get burdened. You can get weighted, weighed down heavily. Uh, pastors really deal with this because they hear a lot. Uh, anybody in ministry, they they start to carry other people's burdens, and it can be really hard. It can it can lead to a lot of clinical depression for them. So keep appropriate boundaries. Listen to people, talk to people, uh, let them get it off their chest, but don't let them put it on your chest or on your shoulders. 
And I'll also say invest in some good stationery. If you don't know what to do, little notes are some of the best things that you can do to um, to cheer somebody up, to just send them a little letter, send them a little card, write a little prayer inside of a note and give it to somebody. And you can't believe what encouragement that gives. We've got these little cubbyhole mailboxes here at church, and um, most of you have one. If you don't have one, um, we can make you one. But uh, those little those little mailboxes, if you see somebody that's going through something dif- difficult, if you see that somebody that's hurting, um, go put a little note in their mailbox, and uh, they can read it and be encouraged. Be pastors to each other, though. You know, as, as this church grows, it's very important that we all look out for each other because, um, you know, as one person, I'm the pastor, and uh, there, there are about 100 people in our circle, a little over 100 people in our circle. And, and uh, you, you know, you want to you wanna stay connected. You want to know who everybody is, but it's really hard to be involved in the lives of over 100 people. So any time that I see somebody, um, you know, that there have been a couple of Sundays here where I knew that there were three or four people that needed some attention or they needed a conversation, they needed some prayer. Um, but I, I'm not able to do that with anybody, with everybody. So what I've seen several times is, hey, I'm going to go talk to this person because I see this person with other people around them. And this church, I, I just, I praise you. Um, I thank you that you are good pastors to each other. You know, I, I'm the pastor of this church, but in in my mind, we're all growing in the Lord to become somewhat of clergy to everybody. We're all growing so that we can be a blessing because I want everybody here uh, to to understand that they have the capacity to be a blessing to anybody else in this church. So don't just say, well, I would do this, but that's Wes's job. Don't think that way. If, if you see somebody that needs to be uh, blessed, that needs to be prayed for, that needs to be encouraged, uh, you have my permission uh, to go to go do that too. Just do it well. Just do it well. But ultimately, everybody suffers alone. You know, Job's got his wife there with him. She's not much help. He's got these friends with him, and they're they're doing well in this passage. But starting in a couple of weeks, they're going to do very badly at uh, at helping him, at comforting him. And so, ultimately, everybody who suffers kind of has to suffer alone. But Let's be brave and try to enter with people as much as we can in their highs and in their lows. And let's be a church that rallies around people in our community. You know, we have something called Grief Share here, and it has blessed a lot of people in our community. Uh, We have Celebrate Recovery, and it is blessing people in our church. We hope that it starts blessing people from the community. Um, Even in the future, we've talked about this thing called Divorce Care, caring for people going through divorce. All of those things are ways that our church will try to rally around people uh, who are going through very difficult times. But we have to have some boundaries. We have to keep private information private. uh, And we can't have a fear of being known. We have to open up our lives, open up our our hearts to people uh, and be vulnerable. And we have to be willing to weep with those who weep. The fact is Jesus entered our broken world. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to have to enter somebody else's broken world. So don't try to be God. You can't do everything for them. You can't bear every burden for everybody and don't even try. And we're all, we're all not really here theologians. We're, you know, we're Bible students and all that. But answering the question of why and the ultimate reason for pain and everything, we may not even be very good at that. 
And unless you really are a clinical psychologist, let's try not to be a psychologist to anybody either. And God hasn't told us to be him. And he hasn't told us to be theologians. Bible students, yes, but not theologians and not psychologists either. What has he called us to be? He's called us to be friends. So let's be friends to everybody. Be friends to the hurting. Be friends to those going through difficult times. And let's talk to them bravely, forthrightly, clearly. Let them talk. Let's be silent when we need to be silent. Let's pray for people when we can. Let's encourage people as much as we can. Let's put our lives on hold for other people as much as we can. Um, and let's just be good friends. Let's bless in that way. Let's rally around the wounded. Okay? Let's pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we, we love you. We come to you in Jesus' name. Asking you to empower us to be good shepherds, to be good comforters, to be good friends to people. Uh, people in the church and also people in the world, Lord, our neighbors, uh, the people in our community. Lord, when, when a tragedy happens, when something difficult happens, Lord, please help us to be there. Johnny on the spot, ready to weep with those who weep, ready to, ready to be a shoulder to cry on, ready to hear somebody's uh, grief. And help us to know how to react and help us to react properly. Help us to be good friends and help people and encourage people and keep them on the track that's leading towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.